Hi, this is Wilson, pastor of Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. Thanks for joining our podcast. Over the pandemic, a lot of our lives have been reoriented. Whether it's our work, school, friendships, or church, we've become comfortable with a new normal because of COVID. Many of us are asking what church is and how important is it really? Can I be a strong Christian without the church? Or can I go to church in PJs and off a screen for the rest of my life? I hope this series helps you move away from cultural norms and beliefs about church and brings us back into God's word and heart for the local church. Enjoy the sermon. All right, welcome back, everyone. I hope that you had an opportunity to share, share your drawings. You know, I... The sermon kind of comes out of a of a pretty difficult week in my life. I remember just feeling beat down, uh, spiraling a little bit. I remember just kind of saying to God, man, I just feel like I got kicked in the teeth over and over again. Um, there was just a culmination of, of me being like not a great dad and losing my temper on Liam and Levi me going back to my addictions, me feeling really um, in despair. And I, and I didn't know how to get out of it. And so I remember just like collapsing on the bed, um, trying to talk to God, but also a little scared to approach him um, after just feeling feeling really... Um, down, down and out. I I think all of us during 2020 like have felt that way, you know. At some point, we just we just kind of wanted to cancel a day or two and just lay there. At some point, we've all just given into our sin because we need to self medicate. At some point, we hurt someone around us and. And I remember as I was laying there, just totally discouraged, God brought this really cool parable to mind. And, and I think that's why we read scripture, because it's primarily how he speaks to us and also how we know he is speaking to us. is because he brings these passages into our hearts, into our minds. And so kind of in my place of just brokenness, he gives me this passage and replays the scene to me. It's from Luke chapter 10. It's the, the Good Samaritan. In verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26 says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And this is a very normal Jewish rabbi Thing where they ask a question to answer a question. And so this teacher of the law replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? So the reply of this teacher of the law is simple. Love God, love others. And Jesus says, you're right about that. 
But he wants to make sure he's doing this correctly. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be able to say that I'm living this out and I'm going to have eternal life. So he asks, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives a story. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levi, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law, the expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's this story, this parable Jesus writes and, and shares with, with this man in the crowd where this person is just beaten down. <laughs> He's traveling. It happens quite a bit in the ancient world. There's these places where it's totally um, unmanned. Um, in, unsecured by police or law enforcement. And so whoever has the biggest knife, whoever has the most people can just jump and kill someone and take all their stuff. And that's what happens to this man. He was beaten. He was stripped of his clothes. And it says that he was half dead, me meaning that he was just waiting to die. That if no one helped him, he would have died on the side of the road. And then to this Jewish audience and this Jewish teacher, he brings upon the scene two people that they had always perceived as the protagonists, this priest and this Levi. They are known in the Jew Jewish community as their religious leaders, their heroes. But Jesus flipped the script here. He says that these two men, these religious people, walk by this man who is half dead. They don't look at him. They don't walk toward him. They see him without really seeing his humanity, and they just pass by him. They ignore him. And then he talks about the Samaritan. A Samaritan is the person, if you're in a Jewish family, who you least want your daughter to marry. I don't know if you grew up in a family where your parents are like subtle racists, and they kind of have a list of people that... They want you to marry from like usually their ethnicity all the way down. The Jewish person, the Samaritan is at the bottom of the list. Like do not marry a Samaritan. They beat like even those who are Roman or, or from any other ethnicity. They, they're the lowest of, of people groups. And during that time, the Jews would just refer to them as dogs. Think about the dehumanization of that, that they were, the word dog and Samaritan were synonymous in the Jewish lips. That they just saw them as total um, 
trash. And the reason for that is because Samaritans were Jewish who married non-Jewish people, uh, Gentiles. And they would bring the Jewish religion and contort it, contaminate it with the religion of another person. And so Samaritans were the children of Jews and non-Jews. They were like half, half-breeds. And they had a very uh, distorted view of the Jewish faith. So the Jews felt very threatened that their faith was being watered down, distorted, and they hated Samaritans. They would walk around Samaria in order to not interact with them. But for Jesus, he elevates the Samaritan. In front of a Jewish audience, as a Jewish teacher, he makes the Samaritan the protagonist. This is shocking to everyone around him. The dog becomes the hero. Jesus does something so revolutionary in his cultural context. He says the Samaritan is the good neighbor. So as I'm laying on the bed, um, just feeling terrible and and wanting to not, um, you know, get out of bed, I'm like, can I just start the next day? But it's like 2 p.m. I just I'm just laying there, and God brings a story about, and I just am like, oh, I totally know who I am in the story. I'm I'm the guy getting beaten up. I'm the one half dead on the road. I'm the one lying there that can't get up again. And Jesus is, and then Jesus says to me, where am I in this story? Like, who am I? And he asks me, am I the thief? Like, as I'm the one beaten up, is Jesus the thief in the story? Who looks at this guy who's down, maybe late to the party, like he's not the other thieves that just beat the crap out of this guy. But he's the guy who's like, oh, oh, okay, I'm just going to come up and kick him. You know, like, I just, he's not dead yet. I'm just going to finish him off and take that left sandal that was left behind. Is Jesus the thief in the story? And it, it sounds silly, but but there are many times in my life where in when I feel like I've sinned or when I feel like I'm broken and and beaten up, that I have this fear of approaching God because I think God is a thief. I think he's going to walk up to me and it's, and just like punch me or kick me or or take something away. He's waiting to smite spite me. He's waiting to see me in sin and say because of that, you know, you're not going to be a pastor anymore. Because of that, um you're not going to be able to do something you enjoy. That project you're working on is going to fall apart. I'm here to take something away. I'm here to see you when you're down and kick you one more time. When you're in sin, is that the picture of God that you have? A God who's there to punish you a little bit more, to get that one last kick in. Maybe we have that view of God because... That's how our friends have been. You know, when they kind of see some weakness, when they see us down, they just kind of um, troll us a little bit more. They're pointing out our weaknesses. Maybe that's how our parents have been. When, when we feel like we're already discouraged and broken, that they punish us a little bit further. Maybe that's how we see God as well. But who God is to us 
is who we will be to others. If we have the view that God is a thief in our life, that he's there to smite us, we're going to be a thief in the life of others. We're going to see other people when they're down and out and, and try to attack them, uh, try to point out their flaws, try to take them down a peg so that we can go up one. I mean, it happens in workplace all the time. It happens in social circles where people are always trying to take down another person. And as a Christian, if we see God as a thief in our life, as a bandit, as someone looking to capitalize on our pain, then we're going to do that to others as well. And I wonder if that's how we see him. You know, when I look through the Old Testament, there are lots of times where it looks like God is just um, punishing people. You know, when you look at the, ten, the plagues, it's just over and over again, God punishing Egypt. Or when you see the Israelites being sold into slavery to other countries, it's like, man, God is harsh. Is he going to be harsh to me when I sin too? That's oftentimes our takeaway from Sunday school. But instead, we need to look at the Old Testament and see that God, his goal is not to punish people. His end goal isn't to discipline people. His end goal is for repentance. And he's always escalating in order for repentance to happen. He's only escalating in order for repentance to happen. I think about, you know, Liam at his worst sometimes will like, one time I saw him just trip Levi. Poor Levi is already having a hard time walking. He's really big. His head's really big. He's not really stable when he walks and so he's like walking and then Liam sticks out his foot and Levi just face plants on the floor he doesn't even know what happens I think he thinks that he tripped himself you know but I'm watching this I'm like really upset at Liam for just doing something mean out of nowhere now that's not him 99% of the time he's like super sweet and a great brother but he just did that so I'm like really upset with him and imagine if I told Liam Liam you don't do that to your brother and he's like yeah, I do. I do it all the time, you know, and I'm not going to stop doing it. Like, dude, Liam, you need to go to your room right now. You don't do that to your brother. So he goes to his room, he comes out, and he, and he like, looks for his brother walking so that he could run over and trip him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, you, you need to stop doing that. And let's say I give him a longer time now. Let's say I end up spanking him, right? Because I just need him to stop tripping his brother. I'm not trying to escalate the discipline. I don't want to escalate. I want him to stop tripping his brother, but it's better that I escalate so he stops hurting Levi than if I'm just like, you know what, Liam, if you want to trip him, you can trip him. (laughs) You know, if you want to cuss out your mom, you can cuss out your mom. We're just gonna, you know, maybe we just give up on you. Maybe we just stop disciplining you altogether. You know, when I look at God, um, And how he treats Egypt. What's his first miracle? To show that he's God. To call Pharaoh into repentance. Into allowing his people to go worship. He turns a stick into a snake. Right? No harm done. No no one's hurt. No one died. The stick is fine. (laughs) Um, If Pharaoh repents right there. Nothing would have happened to Egypt. Think about the next plague. The Nile turns into blood. We have fish casualties. 
no repentance. The gnats, the frogs, the locusts, right? It's inconveniences in people's lives. They are annoyed to no end. But again, it just smells really bad. No repentance. Then God attacks the crops. Then he attacks the animals. No repentance. He blots out the sun. No repentance. It says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then he sends an angel of death and warns the world of his power and that he's God and everyone else is just worshiping idols. For Israel as well, I mean, every before they are defeated by an army, before they're sent out to slavery, God warns him some, sometimes for years with the prophet. You know, just like in the classroom, you get a verbal warning, then your name goes on the board. He does verbal warnings with his prophets oftentimes for years, like physical demonstrations of, of why they need to repent and what will happen if they don't. And they go oftentimes and just kills the prophet. And then God steps up his discipline until finally they are broken and they repent. But he only disciplines them to the point of repentance. And there are many times where Israel repents at the word of the Lord and God relinquishes his wrath. He doesn't, he doesn't discipline him, them. As parents, we need to do that, by the way. Um, I need to do that. Where we discipline only to the degree of repentance. Everything beyond that is, is really, is often like us just taking out our anger. If we want to discipline like the Lord, our, our goal isn't to um, be angry or to inflict, to be super strict. Our goal is simply to see our son, our daughter, repent and come back to us. And that's when we need to stop. That's when the Lord stops when I think about um, who God is to us we can have these false realities of God we can have misconceptions of him and if we see God as a thief in our life then we'll relate to others that way how we relate to others actually shows us the reality of God's love If we're someone who sees people who are beaten up, sees people who are broken, sees people who, um, who have sin in their life, and we're just looking for an opportunity to point it out, we're looking for an opportunity to gossip about them or to have other people lower their views of them, if we're looking at them, waiting for them to be judged, wanting wanting this, like someone to hold them accountable, wanting God to take them down. Maybe it's because, maybe what that's showing us is that we actually see God as a thief. That in this story, Jesus is a thief to us. And that's why when we see others, we're a thief to them as well. The second question Jesus asked me is, am I the priest? I said, Jesus, okay, even though oftentimes I see you in my sin and I'm just scared because maybe I have a view of you, part of my view of you is a thief. I know you're not. 
He's like, then am I the Pharisee? Am I the priest who walks away? Am I, the, am I a God who sees you in your brokenness and your pain and says, I'm too holy. I'm too holy. Can't touch it. You know, Wilson, go do things right and then come back to me. You know, I'll be standing four miles out that way. And when you get things together, when you're not, when you're not sad and you're happy, when you're when you're sober instead of in your addiction, when you're a good father and kind to your wife, then come and pray and worship. But until then, just kind of stay there. Just like, I need to be clean. You know, like, is that our view of God? Is is our view of God that he just kind of walks on the other side of the road because he doesn't want to touch us? Because it's like, um, you know, every time we mess up, every time we're broken, every time we're in pain, he, he's distant, he walks away. Is that how we see God? Is he the priest? Because who God is to us is who we will be to others. If that's how we see God in our life, if we see God as someone who's too holy, too good to be with us when we're in sin, who kind of ignores us and turns his eyes and gaze away from us, who walks on the other side of the road, that's what we'll do to other people. How we relate to others shows our reality of God's love. And I wonder, when you see someone needy, when you see someone struggling, when you see someone who's not as social as you are, or not as charismatic, they're, they're awkward, do you like walk on the other side of the road? <laughs> are you like, man, I, I want to touch him with a 10-foot pole. Does someone have a 10-foot pole? I need a 10-foot pole if I'm going to touch him, you know? Because, because maybe that's how we view God. Like, we had to earn favor with the Lord. He's not with us in our brokenness. He walks away. And so if this person wants to be my friend, if they want to have a leadership position at church or, or if they want to be a part of our little group, they need to earn their way in. And, and if if they fall short of our standard, if they're not living as holy as I am, if they're not doing as much as I am for the church, like we need to just, we need to just have some distance. Like we need to, we need boundaries. Like you need to be over there and I'm going to be over here. You know, I, I understand like I have closer friends than others for sure. There's only so many people that me and Nina can have constant uh, relationship with. We're all going to have closer friends, but but are they closer because they're better? Are they closer because they're prettier? Are they closer because they have their act together and they're and 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 there's like elitism in the way we see our group? And those people just aren't good enough. If that's true, of how we're relating to others is probably because we see it's showing us how we see the Lord. It's showing us that the Jesus we see is, is the priest that walks away. When we need him, when we're in sin, when we're broken, when we're in despair, he's like, you know, let me know <laughs> after you get up. Put some clothes on, take a shower, 
and then we can hang out again. Like if that's your Jesus, um, you're probably relating to others in the same way. I think when I relate to others in that way, it's probably because my view of God is distorted. Jesus says, I am the Samaritan. Let's see what the Samaritan does. Let's see what it means for Jesus to meet, to be the good Samaritan. I know he's Jewish. He's not Samaritan. But every protagonist in scripture is just a shadow of Christ. Everyone good, every part of someone doing something good is just a piece of who God is, but a small piece. When David has courage to take on Goliath, he's just giving us a, cur- a glimpse of the courage of God. When Boaz um, sees Ruth and brings her into family, even though she's poor and a foreigner and has nothing, it's just a shadow of Jesus bringing us in when we're poor and an enemy and has nothing into family. So the Samaritan... And the beauty of who he is and his kindness is just showing us who God is. The first thing I see is that he goes to this man. He steps into his space. A, he saw him in a totally different way than the Pharisees uh, and, the, and the Levi and the priests. And it says he had compassion on him. Now, in the NIV, it says pity, but it's the same word, compassion and pity in the Greek. And it says he went to him and bandaged his wound. What does compassion mean? It means to suffer with. There's an empathy in the, in the Greek and Latin for compassion. Compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes yours. Someone else's suffering becomes your suffering. True compassion changes the way we live. That's a def- definition from Compassion International. You know, I just, this, this phrase, again, Luke 10, he saw him and had compassion on him. We see that phrase describe Jesus over and over again. I just did that quick word study of Jesus having compassion and seeing people. And these verses throughout the course of his ministry came up again and again. And, and honestly, I was reading them. And I just started crying um, because it was just so moving to see how Jesus is the greater Good Samaritan. These two blind men in uh, Matthew chapter 20 are calling out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us as Jesus is walking by. And people are rebuking them, telling them to be quiet. They're embarrassing themselves. But Jesus stops and he calls out to them. He sees them. He hears them. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, they answered, we want sight. We want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. In Matthew 14, he's going to a solitary place. He's tired from a full day of ministry. He just wants to sit with the Father. But the crowd hears about this, so they start following him. Um, I believe they actually walked around the lake to be with Jesus, even though he's, he's trying to escape. 
But when he sees the large crowd, he has compassion on them. He sees them. He has compassion on them. He heals their sick. Again, he sees a large crowd. And, and it says he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. So be, he began to teach them many things. In Mark 6, he sees a large crowd and he has compassion on them. Um, I'm sorry, Luke 15. When the last verses, it's the prodigal son. And again, it shows the heart of the father as we get beaten up. Even, even if it's self-caused by our own sin, we're squandering the blessings of God. We're eating food and as we sit in a pigsty, um, eating their food, we, when we decide to get up and go home, the way the Father sees us, a long way off, is with compassion. You know, as I was laying there in bed, I was like, Jesus, you are not the robber. You're not the thief seeing me in my sadness and wanting to get one last sucker punch in, wanting to steal one more blessing that you've given me. You're not that. When I was laying on the bed, I said, Jesus, you are not the Levi who just walks by. You've always reached out to touch the leopard. You've always walked into the homes of sinners and tax collectors and sat with prostitutes. You walked two miles out to a graveyard to sit and talk to a, a crazy guy. You you don't walk by on the other side. Say, so Jesus, you're the you're the Samaritan. And I just feel him lean in and and look at me. And look at me with compassion. And that's how he sees you. In your worst moments, in the middle of your sin, when you feel beaten up by the world, kicked in the teeth from your friends or isolation, when you're in the depths of your depression, Jesus walks to you. He looks at you. And his eyes are filled with compassion because that's how he's always seen us and how he sees you now. Do you, do you see a God who is compassionate? Did you draw the eyes of compassion as you drew him looking at you? Because that's that's the reality of his love. That's, that's who he is. And then the second imagery I had during this time was the imagery of two donkeys and two roads. You see, the Samaritan man, he, is, he doesn't just see the man. He doesn't just have compassion on him. He, he bandages his wounds he places him on his own donkey and he, he walks. And then he takes him to an inn and spends the rest of the day healing him. And then says, I will pay whatever it costs so that this man gets better. And that's what I saw. That's what I want you to see. That when you feel like you can't stand, when you know you can't get yourself better, that Jesus picks you up and puts you on this donkey 
and he's gently wrapping your wounds, using wine to disinfect your your cuts, uh, giving you water so that you're rehydrated and placing you somewhere safe where he can just be with you, tenderly, gently giving, healing your soul. But you know what the other imagery I got was? It was when Jesus rode the donkey. He's, it's his last days on earth. He has his eyes towards Calvary. He starts telling his disciples the end game. I'm going to die for the world. That's how I'm going to heal it and bring it life. And he, he, his first steps towards Calvary was on a donkey too. He rides a donkey into Jerusalem. He rides a donkey to Calvary so that we can ride a donkey towards forgiveness and healing. You see, there's two donkeys. One that Jesus rides on to suffer and pay for us so that he could put us on another donkey and move us towards healing, towards love with him, and towards the forgiveness that he paid for. What an amazing, amazing God. Who is Jesus to us? Because who he is to us is who we will be to others. How you relate to others will show your reality of God's love. If we are grace receivers, we will be grace givers. If we've been loved radically by this Savior, we will love radically the other people in our lives. If we've received forgiveness that cost Jesus the cross, we will bear the cost to forgive others. If we see the wounded and have compassion, it's because we have a Savior who sees us and has compassion to us. You know, my challenge to you isn't for you to go out and be a, and love your neighbor. My challenge for you this morning, if, if you have been judging others and walking away when you see their sin and brokenness, if you've been the thief that kind of punches someone when they're down, my, my ex- exhortion to you is not to now all of a sudden throw out for healing and forgiveness. No, my, what Jesus is offering today is for you to see him in a different way. For you to see that you saw him wrongly. That, that God isn't a God who's wanting to smite you and kick you when you're down. That God is, Jesus isn't a Pharisee walking away when you're in pain. That you would see Jesus and see his eyes of compassion. You would see Jesus as the one who sacrifices so that you can be healed and that you would receive him that way. I'm praying for you that if right now you feel like you're caught in sin and you don't know how to get out, if you feel condemned and guilty, that you would know that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that you would lift up your eyes and see the Good Samaritan who loves you. And when you see him, you will be like him. When you see him, 
you will be like him. When you're loved by him, you will love like he loves. So be loved by him. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The only thing we have to offer is what we've received from the Lord. Because if you've received comfort for God, because you've received comfort from God, give others that comfort. Give others the comfort that God has given you. You're offering that comfort to others. You know, that very beginning question from the expert of the law, how do you have eternal life? It's loving God and loving others. But also, love, loving God and loving others, they're not separate commands. They are tied intimately together. There's a priority. There's a process. We are loved by God. Then we love others with the love of God. That's how we have eternal life. That's how we are able to love others. That's how we become like Jesus. So what are the takeaways here? Because of Jesus' love for us, because of his compassion, we see our neighbors with compassion and, and humble eyes. And Jesus says, love your neighbors. And, and it's so important that we love the people closest to us. Love the people who are around you. I was reading uh, Scriptate Letters by C.S. Lewis, and and it's basically a senior demon tutoring a junior demon on how to mess up this Christian's life and, and lead him into sin. And he says, one of the illusions that you can give a Christian is that he's loving when he is loving people far away. So have him care about those uh, kids who are starving out in another country. Have him be passionate about that group over there that he really doesn't have access to, but get him to continue to be bitter at his mom. Then he'll think that he's good, but really his neighbor, his family, the people closest to him are the ones who affect his character, are the ones who define whether he is truly loving. And I think we live in a society that C.S. Lewis is speaking to where we think we are compassionate when we are compassionate on Instagram, advocating for people that are far away. And we're letting those things define us. Instead of looking around at church, in our neighborhoods, on our campuses, in our workplaces, in our families, and saying, am I loving the people closest to me? Because that is what true love Tangible love looks like to love your neighbor. I'm not saying it doesn't matter that we advocate for others. But what will really tell us who we are is not how passionate we are about people that we're not really in deep, intimate, 
consistent relationships with. Love your neighbor. Who around you, who do you have contact with where your eyes are haughty instead of humble? Where you've been a thief instead of compassionate? Change the way that you love him or her because of Jesus. You know, the word compassion, there's the sense that we see ourselves in, in others. You know, the, why I'm moved by foster care is because I see Liam and Levi in those situations. I see part of who I am in these kids that don't have parents. I'm like, oh my gosh, Liam is so precious. He's such a sensitive kid. He's so silly. He has so much to offer the world and in, in his kindness, in his personality, in his smile. And what if he's missed? What if he has to callous up because he gets handed from one home to another and he doesn't know he's safe? I love that, that group of kids. I still mentor um, the campers I had at Royal Family, seeing them in a few weeks because I see Liam and Levi in them, because I see myself in them. Jesus has the Samaritan who's been dogged on his whole life somehow see himself as the Jew getting beaten up. Do you, do you see the pain in others or have you just canceled them? You know, if, if you've always hated Trump and Trump supporters, they're your, they're your, Jesus saying, be the Samaritan to them. Do you see their pain? Do you see their fear even when they are moving into the capital? Even when they lash out in anger, do you see their wounds? Do you have compassionate and humble eyes towards them? Do you, can you see yourself in them? If you've been Blue Lives Matter this whole time and every time you see a Black Lives Matter protest, all you see are the fires. All you see are the flipped um, police cars. All you see are the riots. Jesus is challenging you to be the Samaritan. To look at these people and see their pain and hurt and anger. See the injustice that, they, uh, that they're lashing out on, some of them. And also see how many of them are, are peaceful and and to see yourself in them. He asked, he painted a picture of the Jew, of the Samaritan, seeing himself in the Jew, hurting with them and sacrificing to serve them. You know, as I think about Renew Church, um, this sign for imperfect people only. It's so that we walk into the building knowing that we are the guy beaten up. <laughs> we are the gal on the floor who had no chance except for Jesus bending over, looking at us with compassionate eyes and carrying us to forgiveness. It's to put us all in a place of humility before a God who, who loves us. And if we do that correctly, 
we're able to look with humility and compassion at everyone in our church family. We're able to see ourselves in them. We're able to carry and sacrifice for them. God, thank you so much for your love, for how you see us, for how you walk towards us and heal us. And I pray that this week we would see you that way. We would fight to see you as a good Samaritan. Uh, we would fight to see your eyes uh, when we fail, when we mess up, that we would find a God who loves us and who carries us. In Jesus' name, amen.